Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. My guest now is Dr. Mpo Palatze, a medical doctor with a vast experience in the health sector and the MMC for Health and Social Development for the city of Johannesburg. She has been responsible for some incredible initiatives to alleviate the suffering of those in our city. Some examples include making accessible the extended social package to indigent and vulnerable households, recycling medical waste for use into school shoes for disadvantaged children, and the opening of drug rehabilitation centers. She's now on a drive to collect assistive devices to aid 3,500 people living with disabilities. Dr. Palazzo, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad I could be here. Dr. Palazzo, let's start right at the beginning. Um, you're a medical doctor. What was your? How did you get involved in politics and in the city? Well, my involvement in politics actually quite an interesting story. Um, I specialised in public health medicine at Wits University, and just after I finished my coursework, before I could write exams, I did some sessional work in Alexandra at the Alex Community Health Centre. And while I was there, on one Sunday morning around 5 a.m., we had about five gentlemen wheeled in, mm. and they had all been shot multiple ah. times. And this comes a few weeks after I started that job, and I was already at that point traumatized by the level of violence in that community. And having had the opportunity to drive around Alex and looking at the lived, the living conditions of the people and the lived experiences from that, I understood why um, there could be so much violence, you know, and and so I had already started reaching out to a few people to try and understand why government isn't doing anything and, you know, why people are left to live like this and and why the clinic is having to deal with with, with the repercussions. And the, you could always you could almost see there were there was fragmentation in the system and there was no feedback mechanism for the clinic to say to government, you know, this is what we're picking up. Uh, maybe you need to strengthen safety and security in this area. Anyway, so on that Sunday morning, um, well, um, these five gentlemen, we actually lost two mm. in in our casualty. We we referred the other three to Charlotte McLeake academic hospital, but I was subsequently told that two of the three also died. So mm. only one made it. And that was the last straw for me. Um, I, I was frustrated. I was angry. I had a friend who was in parliament at the time. He was the deputy shadow minister of health at the time. And we were, we had been colleagues at WITS. So he's one of the people that I reached out to in frustration. And he then said to me, why don't you do something? And at the time, I was actually in the process of opening up a consultancy, you know, private consultancy, because I had been in business before I went back to school. And, um, and I said, but I want to do this, you know, and he said, well, you could, you could become a PR counselor and, and still do something on the side. So that was the plan. The plan was to be a PR counselor. So I started the application process with the Democratic Alliance. Why I chose them is because I wanted a professional environment to function because I am a professional and they just made more sense to me. But I also looked at their policies and they resonate with me. I felt like I could have written them myself, you know. Um, and so I started with the application process and I made it, um, you know, into the pool. Um, after the elections, I think that's when the party knows how many seats they get, they got in council and then they're able to look at the rank ordered list to decide who's going to be a counselor. So I made it as a counselor and I was happy, in, but I still thought I was going to be a PR counselor until the mayor announced his mayoral committee and he asked me to assist with health and social development. Well, um, Dr. Palazzo, you have a big record of achievements 
behind you. And it hasn't been that long that you've been in the job. And it must have been quite daunting when you take the city of Johannesburg and you look at the different kinds of suffering that people have. And the fact that kind of is it two years now down the line, you're still finding, you know, more initiatives. Where did you start? You know, um, interestingly, a lot of the work that I am leading now is things that I've conceptualized in all the years I've been in health and in, in the years that I was specializing in public health at WITS, because as a clinician, you'll be frustrated by the system. But the unfortunate thing is you can't do much about the things that are frustrating you. And I think that's the reason I ended up in public health in the first place. Um, it wasn't easy for me to drop my business, you know, literally close its doors and decide to go back to school because I realized I wanted to make a difference, but I didn't have the skills because medical school only gives you clinical skills. It doesn't give you management skills. It doesn't train you to work in, a, in the broader um, government system where you have to work with other departments, you know, and I realized my own um, skills gaps and I decided to go back and, and learn so that I could go back and make a difference. So in that time, you already starting to conceptualize what would work, you know, and and you at that time, the one that's disadvantaged, you know, and you you pointing fingers at that time at government mm-hmm. and you saying, but why doesn't government do mm-hmm. this? So that's, that's already a process of coming up with solutions, even though your hands are tight. So I think what this position gave me was a platform to actually try out some of the solutions I thought could work. I mean, if you look at our substance abuse strategy, and of course, there's been lots of consultation, both internally and with external stakeholders. But um, I've got in my computer from about four years ago, a little concept document that I put together that has really um, given us a starting point, you know, for the, the, the strategy that we're currently rolling out now. So it's, it's it wasn't as daunting as all of that. It was very exciting, you know, that finally I'm in a position where I, I'm not just complaining, but where I can actually do something about something. The thing with public health is that um, we are a very close-knit community. So, so you never really stand alone, you know. I, I think not only locally, but also globally, there'll always be lots of support. And and we we base our work on research and, and, and best practice. So there's always something to fall back on. You can always check what's working, what's being done where, um, you know. And with all of that support, you, you can achieve a lot. When, when I think back of you and you speak about the addictions, um, when I think of the legacy that you have, or have already made in, in the city, one has to think of the re- rehabilitation centers, the drug rehabilitation centers. And um, to what extent do you, do you feel that you've got a grip of what is happening? And do you want to just tell me how many centers you've now opened and the success of these centers? So we've just recently started rolling them out. Um, this is because of budget constraints. You know, we couldn't start from the word go. If you remember, when we started in this administration, we inherited a budget from the previous administration because we started in August, you know, and um, in, in the adjustment budget, you can't really make major changes. So we could not introduce anything at that point as well. So we only started getting a budget in the last financial year, and we needed to take care of the, the CAPEX needs first, you know, so we, we didn't always have enough space in our clinics to have this service. So, so I'm going to ask you what the CAPEX needs are. Yeah, so we've had to look at, um, 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 in, in some instances, I mean, depending on what is available, the first decision we made was let's make use of our clinics because we already have space and we've got land, you know, because land acquisition can be a challenge in the city of Joburg as well. So um, some of our clinics had excess space. Gladi in Soweto is one such example where we could close off one wing and dedicate it to substance abuse care. But in some of the 
with clinics, we've had to bring in a park home. So where there's land available but not enough room, um, that's what we've done. So that work took a bit of time before we could actually roll out the service. And that's why we only started rolling out the service a few months ago. Um, the first one was in Tladi, in Soweto. That was our first. Um, the second one was in Eldorado Park. Um, the third one was in Jubet Park, which we opened just a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and River Park Clinic was the fourth one. However, we also extended an existing facility, which is an inpatient facility and the only inpatient facility in the city. According to legislation, um, local government may not um, run a an inpatient um, drug treatment facility. So we are doing this in partnership with Sanka. We offered them the facility and they run the services. But it was a 12-bed um, facility targeting teenage boys only. We've been able to extend it to 54 beds and we're now looking at both male and female. It's uh-huh. still a teenager only facility, but we're looking at a second inpatient facility in the current financial year in Burki in Region G, which will look at um, other age groups. Um, you, um, what has the impact been? Because uh, substance abuse is so prevalent in our city and we see so many people on the streets because of it. And, and you w- work for the city of Joburg, um, but a lot of the people who are using the substances aren't necessarily Joburg citizens. And I just wondered how you identify them and then what the next step is, and then also the effectiveness of what you have been doing. So in terms of identification, this is work that we've been doing even before we started with um, the rollout of treatment centers. Remember, we've got social workers in the city. They do casework. You know, they're involved with communities at different levels. And identifying people that need help is something they've been doing for a long time. But all they could do is refer, right. you know, to other service providers because the city had did not have much on offer beyond just Golden Harvest, the 12-bed teenage boy facility. So, so that work is continuing. In terms of identification within the current strategy, because now we're more visible and because people know where to go to, they actually have a go-to place. And I think that's the one of the biggest successes of this is that a lot of people in our townships um, don't know where to go to get help. Or private rehab facilities are expensive and inaccessible. Or the, just the process of getting admitted to a rehab center can take long. It can be complicated, you need a social worker to see you, you don't even know where to get hold of one. So this has really been a gift to our communities because our our, our treatment centers are community-based within walking distance. Yeah. That's the idea. You know, we'd like to get to a place where everybody has a, a rehab center within walking distance of where they live. Um, so, so you know, people just walk in. We have parents walking in and, and, and telling us about their children, that they would like us to assist or bringing them as well. But we also have EPWP workers, our expanded um, public works program, that go into communities and do recruitment. And that's one of the things that they do. Um, they also do mapping of hotspots in communities so that we can address those in partnership with other departments in the city, such as development planning or city parks. But they really help us in terms of bringing people in. And the idea is, as we graduate people from the program, that these graduates will also go back into communities. They know where the hotspots are. They know which friends of theirs are also using and that they will also be part of the recruitment strategy. I mean, it makes perfect sense for your title to be health and social development. And you started off this interview by saying that you were, um, you know, confronted by violence and Alex and, and conditions are there. And I was reading an interesting article this morning, actually, in the Mail and Guardian that said, you know, as, as doctors, you don't wait for your patient to be 
become obese and then treat them for obesity. You take your patients and you tell them how to stay healthy. And the, the same for violence. I mean, the article is basically saying that violence perpetuates violence. So it requires um, that education right at the beginning, how not to respond with violence when you yourself have been a victim. And I think it was, I don't think it was specifically referring to South Africa, but I think it was a very good point. And I think your point about, um, I think it, it's also in part of South Africa, our society's social ills and our health ills are so connected. That is so, so true. In fact, if it were up to me, we would have health and social development working together up to national level. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because one thing that government struggles with, um, it dip, it, you know, it doesn't matter what what problem you're trying to solve, we are still struggling with intersectoral collaboration. So as soon as you have two political heads of two departments that need to work together, you struggle with efficiency and getting that synergy, you know, and getting that relationship going. And I found that being in charge of health and social development has assisted me so much in, in achieving what we've achieved. If you look at our substance abuse strategy, health and social development have actually formed a team and they're working together to address this. So in our clinics, we've got a social development team as well as a health team. The, the, the manager for the clinic is the manager for the entire clinic, including the substance abuse side. We've We've got doctors, we've got nurses, we also have social workers and auxiliary social workers, and it's working beautifully. And And I'm starting to see more and more of that. I'm starting to see them see where they connect and where they need to work more closely together. So it's very true. Social determinants of health are real. And if we could focus on social determinants, we could actually save um, government and the taxpayer a lot of money because we could prevent a lot of ill health. But because of this operating in silos, we've been so curative in our approach instead of dealing with what is causing people to get sick in the first place. And you, you touched on the fact that, you know, um, the differences not only within departments, but within uh, um, realms of governance. You know, you've got national, you've got political, I mean, provincial, and then you've got local. And to what extent is there tension between them? And to what extent is there cooperation, especially, obviously, in the field of health? Yeah, well, um, I wouldn't want to generalize. Um, in in Gauteng, for instance, when I started two years ago, there was a bit of tension between myself and the then MEC, who is now um, no longer MEC. Um, at the moment, I have a great working relationship with Dr. Gwen Ramakhopa. I do feel that it helps that she is a medical doctor herself, so she tends to be very professional in her approach to things. She's first a doctor and then a politician, which is more the way I function. I think it becomes difficult when people are too politicized. Um, I, I do think that that tends to overshadow you know, the real work and what needs to happen. And, and that does tend to get in the way. And I imagine that in the past administration where you had an ANC local government and an ANC provincial government, I imagine it was um, easier than, 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 than what we're experiencing now. So we're going to take our break. And after the break, maybe we can look at some of the new initiatives that you're, you're uh, undertaking and also just explore further some of the initiatives that you have done. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Dr. Mpo Palate. She's a medical doctor and also the MMC for Health and Social Development for the city of Johannesburg. Let's go on to the tweet that caught my eye um, that resulted in you being here, and that was your drive to collect assistive devices aids for 3,500 people living with disabilities. Um, what happened? 
So the city of Johannesburg Social Development Department has a subunit um, that focuses on providing support for persons with disabilities. We've got marginalized population groups in the city, and we recognize persons with disabilities as one of those population groups. So we've got ongoing initiatives, ongoing programs where we provide support to them in the regions and centrally as well. Now, we get a lot of requests for assistive devices of all kinds, be it wheelchairs, crutches, walkers, prosthetic legs, um, and so on and so forth. But because it's not our direct competency to supply these, we work with partners who can help us supply, and our role is to facilitate that relationship, to create the linkages. We transport beneficiaries to the Rotary Club, for instance, which, who's one of our biggest um, um, suppliers or donors, and and we, 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 we did something with the RAND Mutual admin for instance last year where they set up a clinic at the metro center and they were able to manufacture prosthetic legs for some people and we facilitated that distribution as well so we play more of an an enabling and facilitation role this is the role of the provincial department of health but as you know the demand is huge Mm -hmm. and and government can only meet it up to a certain extent so we decided instead of just referring people to 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 province which also is difficult if you're outside the system Mm -hmm. you know it's, I think I think it's a lot easier if you were hospitalized and you get referred, but I, d- I don't think that it's easy if you're outside the system. So this is our offering as the city of Johannesburg because we don't have a budget for it. Um, our budget um, follows our mandate, and this is not our direct mandate. Dr. Pilate, to what extent do you rely on other citizens to be show good citizenship and um, get involved? And I know you had another project of recycling waste materials to make uh, school shoes. And to what extent are we encouraging all of us as citizens to take responsibility for each other? I wish we could have more of that, particularly because... Social development doesn't have a huge budget, um, and yet we're exposed to such huge needs. So if you look at disaster management, for instance, disaster management in the city is within public safety, but there is a social component to it. In in the case of disasters, we need our social workers on the ground to do assessments um, of need. You know, people would have lost things, and then we need partners to come on board and, and help us meet those needs. So we need, especially in social development, in the homelessness um, arena for for instance, we've got lots of such partnerships. Um, twice a year, we have an initiative with Child for Change where we treat our displaced persons to a meal. We treat them to a shower. We give them clothing. You know, we allow them to shop in a street shop. We take photos of them, professional photographs to help, you know, give them their dignity back and, and give them a sense of importance and a sense of hope that they, they too are, are, are worthy citizens of the city of Johannesburg. So there again, Again, we rely a lot on, on, on external um, service providers or the private sector in particular. We have a few restaurants that come and join the initiative and they cook and they bring their food and it's always lovely, you know. So there's quite a lot that we are doing, but the demand keeps increasing all the time. The city of Johannesburg is a very interesting city in that um, everybody, not just in South Africa, even on the continent, when they think of coming to another African country or coming to South Africa, the city of Johannesburg is is the receiving point. So in terms of migration, we're looking at anything from 3,000 
plus people every month coming to the city in search of job opportunities. Some of them, or most of them, don't find jobs. So they end up on the streets. Some would end up on the streets. So their needs keep increasing um, against a budget that's not growing at the same rate. So we really need as much assistance as we can. And you talk about people coming in. 3,000 is a staggering amount. People looking for jobs. Um, many of them coming from other African countries and finding themselves on the street. Who's responsible for those people? So it's, it is a joint responsibility. I think the first um, port of entry, obviously, is our borders. Um, unfortunately, our borders are porous. Um, South Africa has, I think, one of the most porous borders. Um, and so we end up with a lot of undocumented migrants. And that frustrates not only us, but also the migrants themselves. Mm-hmm. Many of them are crying to be documented. Um, some of them are seeking asylum, and, and rightfully so. And, and, and home affairs has just been so dysfunctional, and it's just making everybody's work even more difficult. What we've done as a city, though, is we've got um, um, migrant help desks in the seven regions of the city and all we can do is provide orientation, education awareness. Um, we also run programs, social cohesion programs between migrant groups and locals you know, counter xenophobia programs so that is where we can play but we really need Home Affairs to come on board because if they did it would make our work so much easier and, and, and we're also offering to assist Home Affairs for instance, you know, if they recognize us, if they recognize our referrals we could refer people to Home Affairs from our migrant help desks but again as I said sometimes politics just gets in the way of getting work done particularly across the different tiers of government and um, just just to clarify on the last point um, my, uh, people who find themselves who are not South African citizens do they still have access to any kind of benefits that we as South Africans do clinics so, if they are ill yeah, so um, clinics definitely, and I'll tell you why. Um, if you're looking at communicable diseases, let's say you're running an immunization campaign and you're immunizing um, children of residents in the city of Johannesburg, if you're going to say, if you're undocumented, we're not going to immunize your child, it's as good as having not immunized anybody at all. You know, if you look at HIV, for instance, um, a lot of our locals are in relationships with undocumented migrants. So if we're going to only treat our locals, then we've not treated anyone at all. So the approach at a primary level of care is to treat everybody. Um, However, if you move into now um, secondary and tertiary care, that that is where we have stricter controls. So, Dr. Palazzi, um, I'm going to ask you to give a contact detail for anybody who would like to be an active citizen. So should there be any project within the city, whether it's in terms of assistive devices or providing secondhand clothing for um, open open street shops or whatever it is what should who and what should they contact? how should they go about contacting you I think the easiest way um, is to contact my office on 011-407-6875 and, and just state what, what it is that they're calling about and my office will be able to direct it accordingly or if it's something that requires my office to get involved in then they would set that up as well I then just remains for me to firstly congratulate you Thank you. And a job that's incredibly well done. Um, and secondly, to thank you for coming in and also for sharing all the, the amazing initiatives that you have undertaken with us. And may you grow from strength to strength. Thank you so much. It's been lovely being here. And I hope that we'll have a lot of our listeners coming to join us to make the city of Johannesburg a place that we can all be proud of. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Mpopalatse, the MMC for Health and Social Development.